Welcome to Bethany. It is a privilege to be able to share this online resource with you, and it's our prayer that it's a blessing, that it helps build up your faith and encourages you on in your relationship with Jesus. It's also our prayer, though, that you are meeting regularly with a church family. It's so important that you're doing that on a regular basis so that others might be able to pour into you the love of Jesus and speak truth into your life and really build up your faith, and then for you to be able to do the same for them in return. May God bless you. May He use you for His glory and the good of His people. Thanks for watching. This is Revelation chapter 21, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 7. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, the day that... These words become reality is the day of sweet relief. I mean, no more fear, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more battling with those destructive forces that lurk within ourselves, no more harm that we are at risk of inflicting on others. All things new. It means all hostilities are over. It means rest and restoration have come. From there on out, we will be celebrating. We'll, we'll be exhaling, won't we? We'll be discovering, we'll be building, we'll be enjoying all things new. It, it marks the definitive lasting new. There's, there's gonna be no more depreciation and no more decay. There's no more repeat of Paradise lost. No, this is going to be paradise that lasts. The writers of the song describe it well. They say, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when strivings cease. You know, if we look back to the very beginning of the book of Revelation, we see John gives God all the credit for this. And not only that, he lets his readers know that they can be absolutely sure that these things are coming. 
He writes this, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he is coming. He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. That, that means so be it. This is true. And God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. He who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You know, when I was a kid, about six or seven years old, there was one summer day when we had invited my friend, a good friend, and his family over for a barbecue. And of course, we were going to swim as well. Do you know what it's like for a six or seven year old to have to wait? It's really hard. <laughs> I started at the front door and I stared and I waited. And then I moved to the front lawn. And then before you know it, I was out on the curb craning my neck down the street to see when my friend was going to be here. I couldn't wait. This is going to be so much fun. I just can't wait. That's one kind of waiting. There's another kind of waiting, isn't there? It's, it's not like waiting for Christmas. It's the kind of waiting where you're waiting to be rescued. So about the same same age, six or seven year, years old, my brothers and I had one of the worst experiences ever with a babysitter that we had over. I mean, we, we didn't really care for the way she looked, uh, the way she talked. She wasn't very nice. She ate every single one of our lemons raw. And not only that, uh, she was actually getting my younger brothers to make crank calls to local businesses. And I told her, we can't do this. My parents don't allow us. She didn't care. And I can remember finding myself at our large front window in the living room, the curtains behind my back, my face pressed up against the glass, and I was watching and waiting when are my parents going to return and deliver us from this madness? I couldn't wait for them to get home. You know, when you think about the future things that the book of Revelation describes, well, we should be led to those similar places, shouldn't we? Where we just can't wait. He's coming, John writes. He's going to bring that sweet relief that we are desperately longing for. Things, because things are falling apart down here. There's, there's violence erupting all over the place. There's tension in the workplace. There is anger erupting in our homes. There are people out there that are trying to shove, to force feed us this confusion pill and this resentment pill down our throats. We're ready, aren't we? We are ready for his return. I'm ready. Are you ready? Revelations 22:20 20 says, He who testifies of these things, he says, Surely I am coming soon. And to that we all go, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We need him to return because things are a mess. But we also can't wait for him to return because of all the good things that he has promised are coming with him. He's going to make all things new. 
I have a brother who loves taking these old 1960s farming trucks and he he strips them down of all the rust and he, and he patches them and replaces them with new body panels and, and he covers them over with glossy paint and reupholsters them. And of course, well, he drops in the 500 horsepower Corvette engines inside of them as well and makes them scream down the road. They're pretty awesome. But what is it going to be like when all things are made new? It's one thing to see a restored classic, but when all things are made new, I mean, as beautiful and as awesome, as majestic as the mountains are, or the the deserts, or the oceans, what are they going to be like when they are made new? What are these bodies of ours going to be like when they're made new? What about our relationships? Some of you are longing for relationships to be made new, right? Maybe relationships with the close family member, a brother, sister, parent, spouse, a child. What's that going to be like? What's it going to be like when, when tacos are made new? I mean, do you think about these things? <laughs> right? This is important stuff. This is going to be incredible. I can't wait. Can you? Can't wait. And you know, the thing is, this is not a pipe dream. Paul tells us in Romans 8, we we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, he writes, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirits, we ourselves, he says, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. You know, that little boy with his face pressed against the window, he was groaning, groaning for his parents to return. That kid who is out there on the curb, he was groaning, agonized every second longer uh, as he waited there searching for that yellow station wagon to turn the corner onto his street. You know, we who were awaiting this earth-shattering transformation that our God has promised that he is bringing, we should be groaning as well, agonizing, going out of our minds. When is he coming? And that should do something inside of us, shouldn't it? That expectation should change something inside of us. It should be pushing us up against that window with longing, with excitement. There are different levels of excitement, aren't there? I mean, we, we get excited about all sorts of different things, but some things are more exciting than others. When, I, when I'm looking forward to getting off work at the end of a long day, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to get in the car. I'm excited to drive home, excited to be with family, have dinner together, maybe relax a little bit together. But you know, that doesn't compare to the excitement that I experienced as I was sitting there at the desk, staring up at that classroom wall, that analog clock there, and that second hand ticked around counting down to summer vacation. Now that was exciting. Or what about when I was crossing out the dates on the calendar, looking forward, ever getting closer to that big wedding day? That was excitement. No, when something is truly worth looking forward to, it it, it does something inside of us, doesn't it? In fact, the significance 
that we recognize that there is in that future event that we were looking forward to, well, it's reflected, that significance is reflected in what it does both inside of us and and what it produces on the outside as well. When something really big is on the horizon, well, it consumes our thoughts. It, it has an effect on our behavior. And it, and it moves us sometimes to push other things out of the way so we could just set our eyes there. That's all we want to focus on. And in, in some cases, it, it allows us to overlook things that we would otherwise look at as, as troublesome or bothersome. And we say, you know, yeah, 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 that, that would have bothered me in any other case. But you know what? I'm so excited. I'm so looking forward to this thing. Well, that doesn't matter as much anymore. And that's what Paul is getting at. If we flip, flip back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he writes, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Man, that's the truth, isn't it? These outer selves of ours, they are literally wasting away. Now, L'Oreal Paris, they will tell you, we want to sell you this stuff because you're worth it. But you know what they're really saying? They're really saying, girl, you are getting old. (laughs) You are getting old and you need to cover up those sunspots. You need to cover up those wrinkles. You know, I'm at the point now where I, I exercise, jump on the exercise bike or, or lift weights, not because I want to get in Tom Cruise type shape, but just because I, I want to keep these joints from freezing up. I'm starting to feel it in the mornings. It's hard to move. I feel like my body's starting to fall apart. And then I'm not, I'm not even 50 yet. But you know, even though our bodies are on this downward slope, Paul recognizes that. But you know what? Even though he says, we do not lose heart. How can he say that? Why does he say that? Well, he explains. He continues. Even though they're wasting away, he says, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And we ask, how are you managing that, Paul? What's the secret to this inner revitalization that you're talking about here? He explains that too. He writes, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying that this future that he has his sights set on, well, that is what is making the difference here. It's changing something on the inside of him. It's renewing him. It's filling him with hope. It's enabling him to to look beyond the pain and to endure the waiting and even to, to look at this negativity and the downward spiral that is just a part of life, to look at it in light of the glorious eternal future that is on the way. Look at, look at what he writes in chapter five. He says, for we know that if, this, if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, speaking of this, this body that we're in, if it's destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Did you notice it? There's that word groan again. 
This is not fantasy land he's talking about here, is it? This is not, not make-believe. This is not some type of like psychological exercise where you just kind of uh, take what is real and you, and you lock it away in a room or maybe you imagine it away and you tell yourself things are not as bad as they seem. No, he's got his feet firmly fixed in the ground, in the truth, in the real world. <laughs> and he recognizes things aren't great here. No, we're, we're groaning here. We are agonizing here. But you know what? Something better is coming. There's something better coming. He says, God has given believers, those who trust in Jesus, a guarantee of this. That guarantee is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is now dwelling inside of them. And it has a profound effect on him, he says. Profound effect. Two things that it creates inside of him. The first thing is courage. It builds, it fills him with courage. And secondly, It motivates him to live his life for the sole purpose of pleasing God. Look at at chapter 5, verse 6. 2 Corinthians 5, 6, he writes, So we are always of good courage. We know that we are, while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. He says, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So he's given this incredible courage to face all of the negativity that exists in life, all the decomposition, all the mess of this world. And he's able to do that because he knows where his hope is found and it is not found in this world. No, he says he's walking by faith. And this isn't some type of wishful thinking kind of faith, like, oh man, I I just wish this would happen. Oh, it'd be so great if it happened. No, no, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about confident reliance on the God who made him, who saved him, who has planted his spirit inside of him and is empowering him even now. He's, He's confident that he can rely on that God to come through on his promises. That's faith. It's taking God at his word, stepping forward, stepping out in faith, stepping into each new day, looking into the future, knowing that he's going to come through. That little boy who had his face pressed up against that window, he had no doubt that it was just a matter of time before his parents' car lit up the driveway. He stood there on the curb, looking down the street, because he knew that it was just a matter of time before his friend's yellow station wagon turned the corner onto his street. You know, like Paul, you and I should be filled with confidence and filled with courage, not because we think that we're worth it, and not because we think that we have what it takes, or that our government or some uh, political party is going to come through, or some herbal remedy is going to make the difference for us. No, but because we know our God. We know our God, and our eyes are fixed on the future that he has promised. And we have faith that he's going to come through. Amen? Is your heart infused with the courage that comes from relying on your king? Paul's hope infuses him with courage. 
It also fills him with a new motivation, a heart motivation, no longer to live for himself, but now to live to please this God of his. And so he writes, so whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Man, when you think about it, if this life is all that you've got, then by all means, we should be out there. We should be living to please ourselves, shouldn't we? We should be living all out to get every single thing that we can out of every moment that we have because once it's gone, it's, it's gone. There's nothing else. So yes, we should live for the moment, absolutely. But, but if there is a God who has rescued us from ourselves, who's opened the door for us to step out of this messy, decaying, hate-filled, sin-inflicted world and into one that is rid of all the garbage and, and rid of all of the mess and filled with everything that is good. If that's the case, then we should be living all out to please him. If that is our soon-to-be forever existence, our forever life, and it's powered by and experienced in the presence of this conquering king, Jesus Christ, then man, I want to start living right now as if my time with him has already started. When I was in the front yard and I was washing my car and I got a phone call from a member here at Bethany and he was on the other line and, he, and he's telling at the other end of the line, he's telling me, Jared, we would like you to be our primary candidate for the senior pastor position of our church. Do you know what that did? It changed everything. It changed my total perspective. Every second from that day forward, I would now live in light of a new reality. And so I, I grabbed a towel and I started drying off the car, but not as the Jared who was there five minutes before, but as a Jared who, who now had an idea of where his future was actually going. And I would now go to, to, to work and I would change the diapers of our, of our newborn and I would wash dishes and I'd do all the routine things that I would always do. But you know what? Something different had happened. Something, something had changed on the inside because I now was looking forward to a future that was altogether different. It'd come with new privileges. It would come with new responsibilities, new challenges for sure, and even new joys that I had never known before. You know, knowing what you and I have to look forward to, the return of our king who's gonna make all things new, that should have a profound impact on us. It should fill us with courage. And not only that, it should motivate us to live in a way that pleases him. Why? Why should we please him? Well, because he is that future. That's why. There's one more motivation, actually. One, one more result that, that looking forward to his hope that, that develops inside of Paul. Something that should produce in us as well. Knowing what lies ahead, it should motivate you and I to share the hope that we have in Jesus. Because 
the reality is we, we know that this is going to be amazing for us. But what's going to be amazing for us is going to be the absolute worst for everyone else who doesn't share that same hope, right? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.10, he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. The great return of the king that you and I are so looking forward to. Well, that means disaster for others, doesn't it? Absolute disaster. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus, had our, our guilt removed by the, his, the shedding of his blood, which washed away our sins on the cross, well, we have nothing to fear. But for those who are still trying to make it on their own, they're going to stand before this judge and hear a sentence pronounced on sins that have not yet been paid for. That's a sobering reality, isn't it? Friends, do you believe that God's word is trustworthy and reliable in all that it teaches? Well, if you do, then this isn't pretend. This is not imaginary world stuff. And this is no grim fairy tale we're talking about. This is the reality that is about to turn the corner and head down the street. What motive should that place in our hearts? Well, the same one that Paul points out in verse 11. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... He's aware of the fear of the Lord. That, that means knowing God is no joke. He's not someone to be taken lightly. Man, we are a people who love to take the reality of our creator so lightly, don't we? Our, our lips, they, they, they constantly, countlessly, time and time uh, throughout the day, we're saying things like, oh my God, taking them totally lightly. We, we, don't, we don't have any concept of, of who this God of ours actually is and give no more thought to showing proper respect to the reality of God than we would just picking up a penny off of the ground. It's, it's, a way, it's an absolute waste of time. It's just a worthless activity. But the reality is, the reality is that he is the one who's going to sit on that judgment seat and standing before him, well, that's the destiny of every single one of us. So what impact should that have? Well, Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Church, it's Vision Sunday. And I've thought a lot about this thing called vision lately. We, we could talk about a, a dream a dream of growing our church to a certain size or building up its ministries or expanding our, our, our reach or having more resources to do more. <laughs> but the reality is, our God's already given us a vision and there is nothing that compares to this vision that he has given. It is a vision for what is to come. It's about the day when he returns, our savior, our king, the one who's going to make all things new. Behold, John writes, he's coming in the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. That's the vision. It's a vision of a day when the one seated on the throne announces, behold, 
I'm making all things new. You and I need to be living each and every day in light of that, don't we? It's going to mean an incredible new existence for you and I. But for those who don't, well, John writes, they're going to wail on account of him. We should be filled with courage. We should be motivated to please and driven to persuade those who do not yet know him. Amen. And you know, that's when someone says, well, yeah, I, I, I get it. I, I've heard of these things. I've maybe read some of these things. I actually believe these things about this, this future. And I, I wish it would do something inside of me. I wish it would change the way that I go about my day. I wish that it would give me courage. I wish that it would give me more of a desire to, to live my life for God and, and even place in me more of a burden for sharing my faith in Jesus with others. But the trouble is, I just don't or I don't have enough of it. It's not happening the way I think it should happen. Well, let me tell you something. You're not alone. Because the reality is that I'm right there with you. When I consider what is what, and I think about the things that God has revealed in his word that are coming, I come face to face with the reality that I'm nowhere near where I should be. There's some major renovation that God has yet to bring about on the inside of me. And you know, when I look at our church, I see a people whom, in whom God has begun an incredible work. But you know, there's so much more growth and there's so much more maturity and so much more hope and so much more holiness and so much more passion for living all out for him that is yet to be produced. Do you feel me? And that's why we need to pray. And the way we need to pray has already been given to us by our king himself. It's a prayer that speaks the truth and desires that he wants to produce inside of us. He says, we should pray like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Notice, notice the reverence. Notice the recognition, notice the request, notice the declaration, the desire for the name that is above every other name to be hallowed, to be acknowledged as the most sacred name in all of existence. Is that your prayer? It needs to be your prayer. He goes on, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, that we would be a people that might desire for God's rule, the, the rule that is perfectly recognized in heaven, that it might be realized here and now on the shores of this rebellious world. What would the world look like if God's rule and reign was fully acknowledged here? It'd be amazing. Are we praying for that church? Give us this day our daily bread. Yes, we have needs, don't we? We have many needs. We're well aware of those needs. Yes, our budgets are, are tight. Our supplies, our security, uh, maybe our well-being is at risk. But we need to remind ourselves every day where those needs are to be met. Are we looking in the right direction? 
to the God who's promised to supply all of our needs according to his riches and grace? Or are we looking elsewhere? Jesus goes on, says we should pray, saying, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. No, there is nothing more that our fallen race needs than forgiveness. Nothing else. It's not freedom from oppression that we might face from others. It's, not, uh, it, it's the deliverance from the just judgment of this God that is coming. And that deliverance is only found in Jesus. Are we praying that the Lord forgive us? As, as we already know, we are forgiven in Christ. And are we remembering that there's a whole world out there that needs to know the same forgiveness? Finally, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yes, we're, we're becoming vividly aware of the evil that plagues our land. And yes, we, we also know the, the, the lure of evil that, that beckons a welcome reply from our own hearts. But you know, we also know who has conquered that evil, don't we? Church, when we're faced with the horrors that these fallen hearts of ours are capable of, are we falling on our knees and are we crying out for the only one who can save us from ourselves? All things new. Yes, we've been given a revelation. We know of these incredible things that are out there that lie ahead of us, but here we are. We're in the here and now, aren't we? And we need a vision of things to come and we need it to do something inside of ourselves. We need it to fill us with courage, don't we? We need it to motivate us to please him. And we need it to drive us to proclaim the name of Jesus everywhere we go. And when we take a look in the mirror and we find ourselves lacking, well, that's when we need to pray. Would you pray with me now? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Bethany Bible Fellowship. For more resources, visit our website at bbfoc.org. Dot O-R-G.